so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC Podcast, where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and with me is Brent Leatherwood. It's good to be back with you, Lindsay. We were off last week. We were off last we were week, off that's last right. Week. That's right, because I was traveling. You were traveling for work, That's and... Right. I was at an event all week with our Baptist State Convention executive directors uh, down in South Carolina. And just like last year, when they hosted this event and invited me to, to come and, and be with them and talk to them about the RLC and fellowship with them, it, it was a it was a phenomenal uh, time. Uh, they're doing some, some really great work uh, serving our churches at, at the state level. I'm so glad it was a great time, and it does not hurt that it was in the Carolinas, because you and Meredith, I feel like y'all like the Carolinas. Yes. Like some of your favorite Specifically places South are Carolina. South Carolina. Yeah. I mean, we love North Carolina. Todd Unziker, yes, all, all the folks at the North Carolina Convention. <laughs> don't get me wrong. We we love them. And my family, the Leatherwoods, we hail from North Carolina. I didn't yes, know that. Yes. The, the mountains of Western North Carolina. We're mountain folk. That explains Lindsay. a lot about you. Um <laughs> But no, specifically kind of the low country of uh, South Carolina is, is a place that my family, we are, we're very fond of. So we like That's to get right. down there yeah. when we can. Well, I'm glad that you had a great time. And this has been a newsy week, so to speak, especially in the Southern Baptist world. So let's go ahead and start talking about what has been going on within the Southern Baptist Convention and then within the world. So what do you have for us today, Brent? That's right. Well, the week started off on Monday and Tuesday of this week, the Southern Baptist Convention's Executive Committee, which is one of the the entities that, that make up uh, the national entity uh, network, they held their trustee meeting here in, in Nashville, and uh, folks give updates from the, the various entities, and the trustees of the Executive Committee, they receive updates from the various entities about the work that they're doing, how they are utilizing cooperative program dollars. They also from time to time, we'll receive reports from any special committees. And one of those special committees that's currently active is the Abuse Reform Implementation Task Force, uh, which is chaired by Marshall Blaylock. He is the pastor of uh, the First Baptist Church of Charleston, South Carolina. And Marshall, in his report, which at times veered from being very poignant because he he talked about the survivors and the the stories of survivors that the task force has dealt with over the last six months since its inception from the last annual meeting uh, to kind of a way forward uh, from the task force. And again, this task force is is separate from the previous one. The, the previous one, the sexual abuse task force, was developing recommendations and kind of best practices for how the SBC could move forward. One of those 
was the development and implementation of what is essentially a sexual abuse database. Marshall and this reform implementation task force, that was the central focus of his report because the task force had just recently uh, recommended to the SBC's credentials committee uh, that they move forward. And so I'm going to read this uh, report from Baptist Press about what Marshall told the executive committee. Marshall Blaylock says it was a long process to recommend guidepost solutions to the SBC Credentials Committee as the firm which would establish and maintain a, quote, ministry check website database for those credibly accused of sexual abuse. Blaylock is the chair of the SBC Abuse Reform Implementation Task Force. He said, quote, it was a multi-step process. It wasn't just, you know, we walked into them, the Credentials Committee, and said we picked guideposts. Instead, he goes on to say they reviewed 18 total firms suggested by pastors, peers, other folks that could potentially carry on this work and create, implement, and manage uh, a ministry check website. But after a, a thorough vetting, the committee came back to Guidepost as the one that satisfied a number of different areas to competently produce this. He estimates the cost to build the site and get it off the ground will be $1.5 to $2 million. The task force was allocated $3 million by Send Relief last summer to accomplish the work mandated by the messengers. We made a budget last year for Send Relief to say these are the kinds of things we expect are going to cost money, Blalock said, and this was the largest ticket item. Now, they've spent, according to Blalock, very little money so far, the only money that we spent is on our meetings, but we knew this, that the database would be the biggest expense. And so we've set aside money from our sin relief funds that were given last year to get the database up and manage it for the first stretch. And he goes on to say that the major cost will be getting it running. And then once it's there, the costs are going to be different depending on how many submissions are made. He believes the sexual abuse hotline hosted by Guidepost will eventually be rolled into the contract with the Ministry Check website. Blaylock says the group was tasked by messengers to the 2022 SBC annual meeting to get the website up and running, not oversee the long-term operation or cost. So that concludes this, this section of the report from, from Baptist Press. But honestly, this is a historic announcement. We started uh, back in 2018 the, the process as a convention of churches to say, we're going to focus on abuse. And, and we had the devastating report from the Houston Chronicle that showed a number of churches across Texas uh, where individuals were, had engaged in sexual abuse and preyed upon individuals within those churches. Uh, we had the Caring Well Challenge uh, here at the, the RLC and the Caring Well Conference developed a, a curriculum for our churches. And then the messengers came together here in Nashville in 2021 to say that we need a task force to look at potential instances where uh, maybe these stories of abuse were not properly reported. And then we had this task force, the actual implementation task force, whose job is to, stemming from last year's annual meeting in Anaheim, create uh, this database. And so that's what this ministry check website. So it's it's been several years to get to this moment. It's something that a lot of individuals uh, have said is needed. 
to prevent individuals who prey upon folks, uh, who abuse individuals. They believe it will prevent them from being able to go from, from church to church. There is certainly some disagreement about, you know, how that database should, should operate, but there is uh, broad support for the creation of this. And, and so now Blaylock's announcement is that the time is here. They're going to move forward with the creation of it. And that is something that is historic, and and frankly, it is needed. This is a historic move and an important one, and one that I hope and we do pray that will help keep our churches safe from abuse and help our survivors to feel safe in churches. I think it might, it's interesting to mention that the choice of guidepost uh, back in June with Pride Month, they tweeted something out that acknowledged Pride Month in a seemingly favorable way. So uh, the pick of guideposts for this massive undertaking has drawn some controversy from some in the SBC. So what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, and Marshall talked a little bit uh, about this. Ultimately, what I would say is, yes, they posted that tweet and they have regretted doing so and expressed that. But I trust this particular committee, these The members of this committee, they were all appointed by SBC President Bart Barber, and they they did a a thorough check of a number of different firms. As a matter of fact, I believe they they started this process actually with with the intent to not select guidepost. But they're they're looking for a firm that has broad enough capabilities, the competency, the expertise uh, to be able to, to conduct thorough investigations. And they created a grid and, and figured out, okay, let's just, let's just put this down on paper. Can each of these or any one of these committees fulfill these requirements? And at the end of the process, according to what Pastor Blaylock said, Guidepost was the one that had filled the most of those boxes. So I, I, I trust them. Uh, that's what I would say. None of us were in the rooms uh, where these decisions were taking place, but I value these these pastors, these these ministry leaders, these individuals who who work with our associations and our state conventions. I trust their judgment because they they've been doing, and this hasn't been a rushed decision. As a matter of fact, some of the criticism of them has been, you haven't acted quickly enough. But they they wanted to be very thoughtful and and purposeful and prayerful about this. Uh, they were obviously taking questions and feedback from the credentials committee that they presented this recommendation to. And so I just arrive at a place where I feel confident in Marshall Blaylock and the folks who are a part of this, that they have, they have taken into consideration all of these factors that are out there, what it takes to create such a big enterprise like this ministry check website will be. And then also the concerns expressed by individuals around the SBC and and arrived at a place where they felt this is the proper path to go. Again, guidepost isn't, but we're not looking to them on theological matters. We're not looking to them about ecclesial matters. We're, we're looking to them to bring their expertise to bear on something that we all believe is a, is a problem that has to be confronted. And we should confront it with the, the best possible tools out there. And I think that's where Dr. Blaylock and and the rest of the committee members came down. 
So something else happened during the EC meeting that was causing a bit of a buzz on social media as well. That's right. Tell us about that. So we'll turn again, yes, to to Baptist Press, and and they write in their article, and it's meeting on Tuesday, February 21st, the SBC Executive Committee deemed six churches to be not in friendly cooperation, five of whom for having a female functioning in the office of pastor, including one of the largest churches in the convention, Saddleback Church in Lake Forest, California. Saddleback hired Andy Wood and his wife Stacy as, quote, pastors Andy and Stacy Wood. According to the church website, in 2022, as the megachurch's founding pastor, Rick Warren, retired. The SBC Executive Committee did not name the Woods in its decision to deem the church to be not in friendly cooperation. The recommendation from the SBC Credentials Committee came on the basis that the church has a faith and practice that does not closely identify with the convention's adopted statement of faith, as demonstrated by the church having a female teaching pastor functioning in the office of pastor. Four other churches with women senior pastors were deemed to be not in friendly cooperation by the EC, in addition to a church that failed to cooperate with the Credentials Committee regarding a sexual abuse allegation against its senior pastor. So uh, this was the the other item that kind of dominated news coverage. And and look, I, I, I get it. Saddleback Church is a gigantic force uh, out there on, on the West Coast. And Rick Warren has touched a number of lives out there, led so many people to the gospel. And so, obviously, when something like this happens, it's going to garner a lot of attention. Rick and Kay Warren are legends in the evangelical world. They have done, no doubt, done uh, so much work to, by God's grace, draw people to the Lord Jesus and preach the gospel and do um, relief work and over in Africa with Kay in particular, and many, many people have benefited from their ministry. And of course, he's no longer the pastor of Saddleback. And if I'm remembering that last year, even though even though I wasn't at the annual meeting, it was brought up as far as their friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. Rick Warren was there. I remember seeing pictures of people who were sitting by him. Uh, then Adam Greenway brought up some points. I don't know all the right language to use, but it was deferred. The action was deferred. So now the EC has made this decision, but it's important to note, Bart Barber had a, a helpful tweet thread. And he says this, it's important to note, Saddleback has the right to appeal the decision of the executive committee. And that's the most direct mechanism for the messengers to be able to vote on this question. Essentially, he goes on to say, to suggest that the EC has usurped the messengers in taking this action misrepresents the procedure outlined in our bylaws and misconstrues the spirit of the EC members in making the decision. So I would I would encourage you, people who are troubled by this, especially to go read Bart Barber's tweet thread. Uh, we'll link to it because it is very clarifying to me and helpful to me that this will be put back into the hands of the messengers and Saddleback has a right to appeal. That's a that's a helpful tweet thread that Bart put out, Lindsay. He's he's usually there providing clarity on things. And so we we appreciate uh, what our SPC president does. And look, this all stems, it's it's from a conversation over the Baptist faith and message, which is the statement of faith that SBC churches adhere to. And certainly us here at the RLC, we adhere to it. And the section dealing with this is Article 6 under the church. And I'll just read from it. It says this, each congregation operates under the lordship of Christ through democratic processes. In such a congregation, each member is responsible and accountable to Christ as Lord. Its scriptural officers are pastors and deacons. 
While both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by Scripture. And I, I agree with that. I know you agree with that. We do as a team. And so that, along with the other areas uh, in the Baptist faith and message, those essentially outline the framework for our cooperation as churches. So that's a look at a few things happening within the SBC. But culturally this week, we're, we're hitting a, a solemn point, which is the one-year mark of Russia's illegal invasion into Ukraine. And uh, this next story comes to us from NPR, and it says this, Nearly a year since Russian forces rolled into Ukraine, there are no real signs of a way out of the conflict. Neither side appears primed for an outright military victory, and progress at the negotiating table seems just as unlikely. Neither side has released figures lately, but analysts estimate that about 200,000 Russian troops have been killed or wounded in the war so far. By comparison, Ukraine has seen some 100,000 killed or wounded in action, and 30,000 civilian deaths. Meanwhile, neither Russian leader Vladimir Putin nor Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky shows any signs of backing down and abandoning one of the largest military conflicts since the end of World War II. For the civilians caught in the crossfire, that means the bloodshed and suffering brought on by war has no discernible end. So uh, we'll, we'll have a piece at URLC.com. Actually, we'll probably have a few pieces. That's maybe your area to talk about, Lindsay. But the last year watching this conflict unfold has had some real depressing moments, such as, I mean, it mentions 30,000 civilian deaths. And, you know, there, there were reports of what is essentially genocide occurring in uh, Bukha in Ukraine uh, by Russian soldiers against Ukrainian civilians. And it, it's also had surprising moments of support. The alliance that has been created by President Biden and European leaders, particularly those in NATO, most folks did not expect that at the outset. And so it's been an incredible 365 days of seeing the toll that one man's thirst for conquest and domination, that being Vladimir Putin, uh, of seeing the toll that that it, it can extract on an entire region, really. It's really tragic to watch unfold and honestly sad that because it is ongoing, you I can get compassion fatigue too, or I can just forget and go about my day. But I'm so thankful that there are brothers and sisters of many denominations, but especially of the Southern Baptist Convention who are not forgetting. And they are uh, laying down their comforts in order to serve those affected by this war. And we have a piece that we cross-posted with the IMB that they had put up about the combination of the efforts between Sun Relief and the International Mission Board and how Southern Baptists are involved in Ukraine relief. And they talk about how the Ukrainian church has grown despite the upheaval and chaos and how that's a testament to the power of the gospel and the perseverance of the church and I didn't know this, but Ukraine is home to the highest percentage of evangelicals in Europe. Mm. And so what they've said in this article is that their dispersion meant the gospel was also dispersed. And you see how the Lord does use tragedy for triumph of the gospel. Mm. Now, we wouldn't want that. We wouldn't want war-torn conditions and people dying and children suffering especially but the Lord is working in the midst and uh, of all of that tragedy. And so 
they give some stats here that Sen Relief has facilitated 98 Ukrainian relief projects since uh, February 2022. And they've got projects centered in Ukraine, Poland, Romania, and Moldova. And some of their IMB missionaries are displaced to those areas. And then gifts to Ukraine relief thus far have totaled $12.9 million, $10 million given to Sen Relief and $2.9 to the IMB. And then IMB missionaries developed digital engagement strategies to reach Ukrainians inside and outside the country. And they say that the reach has been astronomical. 22.5 million people visited a website created as an outreach tool. Mm. So we are so thankful to be able to cooperate. This is where the CP just is amazing to me, to be able to cooperate in this gospel work Mm. and support our brothers and sisters all over the world in the midst of their conditions that they are in. And we know that the gospel and the name of Jesus cannot be held back. And he's um, getting glory and saving people even in the midst of destruction. Isn't that incredible? You mentioned that stat. Almost $13 million have been donated by Southern Baptists and our allies to send relief to support over there. And it just makes me thankful for the cooperative program. It also makes me thankful for the leadership of Bryant Wright, uh, who leads Sin Relief, and the the cooperating efforts that created Sin Relief of Dr. Paul Chitwood at the IMB and Dr. Kevin Ezell at the North American Mission Board. Like, those individuals coming together, their teams coming together, those ministries coming together have continued to meet over those last 365 days a real need for Ukrainians, for those displaced individuals. I read another article that the amount of displaced Ukrainians, that number of refugees is the largest number of refugees since World War II. It's just, it's incredible the outpouring of support from the SBC. And if you think about it, it actually makes sense because I've heard over the last year of so many fellow Baptists who went on mission trips to that region and specifically to Ukraine. And uh, so in, in that sense, there's a there's almost like a natural tie uh, with the SBC and, and Ukraine. And so just kind of going back to that initial article, uh, while the last year has exacted an incredible toll. And while I would I would submit that Southern Baptists have stepped up, it doesn't look like there's any end in sight uh, for this, at least anytime soon. But we should pray that God would turn Vladimir Putin away from this uh, endeavor and that he would keep safe uh, all those individuals in, in Ukraine that are, are suffering um, because of this. And that somehow, as you mentioned, through this tragedy, uh, the, the name of Jesus would would be honored and exalted through this. And we obviously don't know how that's possible, uh, but we do know that Romans 8.28 is true uh, and that God uses all things. There's not a qualifier there. All things, in, including this conflict. And so we pray that that's true. Just a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. The ERLC podcast is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is hosted by Lindsay Nicolay and Brent Leatherwood. Technical production provided by Owens Productions. It's edited and mixed by Mark Owens. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more content. Mm